0: Hey everyone, this is Marco. We wanted to let you know that we had originally had a guest come on this episode, but unfortunately due to a file corruption, we weren't able to include that interview. That said, we would like to extend our gratitude to Casey Allen of The Comic Jam. They are a website that help up and coming creators as well as hobbyists get their stories published and get into comics writing in general. There's a new theme and release each week, so go give them some love and check them out on Instagram and Twitter at The Comic Jam. Thanks.
1: You're listening to episode 138 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. I want to let you guys know where you can find us all over the internet. We're the Comics Pals. We are on all podcast hosting platforms except the ones we're not on. And if you want us to be on those, (laughs) you can reach out to us and uh, let us know and we'll, we'll actually work and get on them uh we are at the comics pals wherever your social media is sold and of course you can write to us the comics pals at gmail.com with your thoughts on anything we talk about on this or any other episode of the comics pals thanks again to casey for joining us here Uh, and be sure to check out the comic jam i think we all agree that what they're doing is super cool and um you know just exposing another facet of the comic community we always talk about um You know, things that aren't so great in comics. But uh, every now and then we get the opportunity to talk about something that's really cool that maybe not enough people know about. So if we can shine a light on something like that, that's what we're here
2: to do. Yeah, we know some of the listeners out there have asked about how they could break into comics. Maybe the comic jam is uh, the way to get your first script published.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It it could be
1: your jam. Could be. Ah. All right. So we're going to jump into the palace pulls here. From Marco, we've got Little Bird number four
0: yeah little bird is uh ian bertram um who is an artist that i really love and this is a book published by image it's been getting a lot of press issue one and i think issue two went back for a reprint um and i picked up the first one it's like super otherworldly very reminiscent of kind of like dune um and yeah uh, I enjoyed the first issue. I want to just give this book a shout out because I'm going to pick it up when it's collected. Awesome,
1: very cool. And then last stop on Red Line number
0: two. So this one I had brought up uh, a couple. Uh, it's been delayed, so I brought it up a couple months back. But it's essentially like a murder mystery, but also like magic in Boston because it alludes to like the the train lines there. I have heard mixed reviews from the first issue, but it intrigued me enough that I'm like, you know what, uh, I I want to see where it's going. Um, so definitely check it out. It's one of those weirder indie books. It's not, uh, and I close it here. But, but anyway, go check it out. It's um, it says really interesting art. Uh, it's super shadowy, very heavy on inks. And, um, yeah, if you like a murder mystery uh, as well as some magic thrown into that, give it a shot.
3: Is it, uh, is this a, is it an image? Do you know?
0: No, I think it's Boom.
1: Mm. Another Boom book. Um. I'm into yeah, those. They're good. They've been doing good stuff. Kale chose GoGo Power Rangers Forever Rangers number one. What is this?
3: So this is another boom book. That's right. That Oh, sorry. Uh, it's Dark Horse. Dark Horse. Oh, it's Dark Horse. Oh, well. Dark Horse. Fuck it then. So
2: this one's another <laughs> boom. <book.
3: laughs> uh this is uh set in the uh the GoGo Power Rangers uh set of books. It's um the if if you consider Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the the comics as like the the sort of straight you know straight line power rangers adventures that's kind of like the show then go go power rangers is more of like the teeny uh soap opera uh, slice of life bits of the power rangers lives right um so forever rangers uh to to my understanding it takes place as Tommy is introduced to the group and he he's still um i believe he's still uh, under Rita's possession, and there's a a bunch of stuff going on in the background. I read that like um, Rita has her mother captured. Um, <laughs> the yeah, what? it's it's wild. So uh, you know, you guys know, you guys know that Alpha's full name is Alpha Five, right? Oh yeah. Right. What about the other four?
2: Whoa! Oh, so shit. this
3: uh, this this book apparently is about. Uh, Alpha One who is out to kill oh. Zorron huh. and the Rangers. Um and he's apparently uh evil as hell. Uh so I'm I'm real interested to see uh what what all this is about. And frankly I read I, I read Gogo Go Power Rangers for the first time not that long ago and I was very surprised at how much I liked it more than Mighty Morphin.
1: Man, I I was picking up both for a while, um, but uh, I just I don't know. I didn't get into GoGo the same way as Mighty Morphin. That's probably not a big surprise, but I enjoyed um, Mighty Morphin quite a bit. Still do.
0: It's more of a slice of life stuff, right? Yeah, like like the interaction. I I think I read the first volume and John had similar things where it's like I couldn't get into it. It was I, I like the action of Power Rangers. Like that's what it, I, that's what. Attracts me to power right. in the first place, um, so seeing the the relationship and that dynamic stuff, um, it didn't it didn't scratch an itch.
1: Yeah, like I but I want good. them both together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, and do you know the creative team on that?
0: Uh, I did
1: list it. Oh yeah, we the- it's Ryan Parrot, Eleonora Carlini, Francesco Morial. <laughs> Whoa. And this has been the part of the show where Sean pronounces people's names. Yeah, <laughs> take yeah. that, motherfucker! Uh, 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 uh. Oh, you also chose uh, Usagi Yojimbo number one. I sure did.
3: Uh, so this is uh, a brand new uh, Usagi Yojimbo story. Uh, from my understanding, is it's going to take uh, uh, it's uh, three issues. Um, and it's it's about... Uh, it's got to do with uh, uh, puppeteers. Um Believe, huh. I believe I in Japan that's called Boon Raku. I could be could be wildly uh, incorrect. <laughs> oh.
2: God damn it, Marco! <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sitting here quietly waiting for my <laughs> turn. <laughs> uh,
3: but it uh, it's written and drawn and hand lettered by uh, Stan Sakai, and uh, oh. this set will be colored by uh, Tom Luth. I think it's the guy's name. Oh, I, I have it open here. Tom. Tom. Tom Luth. Yes. Is it uh, normally black and white? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, if, and if you want to hear more about that, uh, the podcast I do with my wife, Gone Global, uh, I talked about Usagi Ojimbo not that long ago. So getting my plugs in early.
1: Yo. <laughs> I like how you snuck that in. Uh, so for me, I chose Batman number 73. I have been very much focused on catching up with all the books that I'm reading. And Batman, I was quite a few issues behind on. I think I talked about this last week, but, uh, 73 is coming out and I, Batman's in a weird place, both the quality of the book in a meta sense and what's actually happening in the book. And even though I'm not enthralled the way I wish I was, there are some good stuff, and I know that despite my not being enthralled when I reached the end of seventy two I was like, "What the hell I want more right now so um oh interesting yeah is seventy was seventy
3: two the end of the the nightmare's arc yep okay, yep okay, interesting,
0: and
1: that's and it ends with um with uh Robin being punched in the face by Batman. like every other issue it and we talked about that when we talked about the Tom King news Um, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about Tom King in a little bit, but uh I I didn't really want to comment too much because I, I hadn't read the issue And in context often matters uh it's it's pretty bad
0: <laughs> It's pretty uh bad, Sean yeah. which, which issue does Tom King leave?
1: Uh, eighty five. That okay. sounds right. Yeah, because yeah. in yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely eighty five. Um, yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. I don't really understand what Tom King was gonna do with another you know twenty something issues based on where we're at right now. We're going into City of Bane, and it feels like this is the end. But whatever, you know, we'll see. I'm I'm in for the ride, even though I'm not fully loving it. Um. Alright, so let's jump into the news. And this mm, first topic we're going to lead with is definitely going to be uncomfortable because we're talking about Chelsea Kane. And every time we talk about Chelsea Kane, it is uncomfortable. Chelsea Kane, who wrote Mockingbird for Marvel and then was writing the uh, Vision title that was going to sort of be like a pseudo-sequel to Tom King's Vision, but... Definitely kind of, you know, carve its own path. Um, That didn't end up working out. So she went over to Image and is doing Maneaters. Maneaters has received a lot of flack. In particular, Chelsea Kane has received a lot of flack for not necessarily what Maneaters does, but more like what it doesn't do. Basically, Amelia Memon, who is a, you know, a feminist educator, a uh, social justice educator they uh took to task took Chelsea Kane to task on twitter for uh the book Maneaters not really representing trans individuals or really any kind of individuals that don't fall into the 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 gender binary i guess um in particular uh, there were also issues with how the book Sort of, in, in, in this person's opinion, juxtaposes sexism with systemic racism. That was something that was specifically called out. Uh, and pointed to that was a panel in the book. So let me just quickly explain that Man Eaters is a book about a dystopian future, sort of like five minutes into the future, where women uh, are basically like turning into wildcats, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. when they menstruate. So the drinking water has been manipulated to suppress, or I, I think it suppressed the hormones to keep that from happening. Hmm. Uh, and even just that concept alone has upset a lot of trans people because you can imagine for yourself how a hormone-blocking drug in the water could mean something to trans people. Um,
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So,
1: in the book, there's a particular uh, three-panel sequence where a girl uh, um, wants to drink water, but the boys tell her that she needs to drink specifically from her water fountain, the girl's only water fountain. Um, And the boys say, you know, go drink the water from over there, and the girl says... You know, if it's so good, then you should drink it. And the boy says, "I can't. I'm a boy." Um, and all that is in, is you, you can find a link to the Comics Beat article where they do show that panel. Um, and so people feel that that sequence is a, is evoking Jim Crow laws. A lot of people will recall that there used to be whites only drinking fountains and 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 you know blacks only drinking fountains. So uh, I do want to read a few tweets from Amelia. Um, she said, This is how this whole thing got started. Um, I want to like Image Comics Man Maneater so bad, but it is so heavily founded in bio essentialism and turfness that it's impossible to not feel like it perpetuates the same misogyny slash systemic violence that it's attempting to tackle. Maneaters, while deaf, cute, and smart and a fun concept, is also just as lazy and exclusionary as pussy hats. White feminism, Taylor Swifting pop feminism. I appreciate any comic on menstruation and the literal violent eating of men. I super duper do, but many does further cements the toxicity of a gender binary in a heavy handed, sad way. Um She goes on, I do want to read Chelsea Kane's responses because um the book upset people enough, but I think Chelsea Kane's response is really Piss people off. It went. It went further in pissing people off. She said again, "Thanks for the feedback. Seems like you're a regular regular reader, which is weird because you hate us. I'm so grateful for the work of our three 14 year old contributors, and then I read comments like yours, and I think, what have I done? Uh, we will be. We will work on being more nuanced and less specific. I guess I think." Th- I guess I think of stories as points of view, as in a person's story in the world. I guess I thought that being specific was kind of the reason I was doing this. So that upset people. But then issue nine took it further because in issue nine of the book, Chelsea Kane literally has the tweets printed out um, on like a board. It's like a billboard, like a yeah, like a of, billboard yeah. where characters in the book—I don't know if they're primary characters or just you know people hanging out—are standing in front of these tweets that are posted up on a billboard, and uh, <laughs> I don't know if if people really caught this, but um, one of the characters standing in front of the billboard is yawning. And I, it, it, for me, <laughs> yeah. it made me feel like, oh, I'm bored of this. And then yeah. in another yeah. panel, there's someone sleeping on someone else's. Back. <laughs>
2: is the girl like leaning on another yeah. girl, falling asleep?
1: <laughs> so funny. Um, and then the last tweets before we, you know, all start talking about this. Um, I'm sorry, I've never worked with a sensitivity reader. A Sensitivity reader implies someone who reads the book to make sure that it is, um, a, that it is, you know, sort of paying attention to everyone's sensitivities. Uh. I can't seem to stop screwing up, can I? I was just trying to say that I was open to feedback, but you're right. Of course, I can't ask anyone to work for free. I didn't even know sensitivity readers were a thing in comics. I really have no business being here. I work on Man Eaters for free. We thought we were doing something good. I'm so sorry. Uh, then someone said, do, do not let them work for free, the sensitivity readers. I know. God, I am so <laughs> stupid. The more I try to help, the more I hurt. Should I just cancel the comic? I cannot ask anyone's work for free, I don't get paid for my work on Maneaters, our entire budget goes to pay our team, but this is important, I will talk to Image and see if I can get money for this someone said, or maybe at this point just give all your royalties to a trans at-risk non-profit group or something, I don't know, you've dug a deep hole here, Chelsea Kane went on to say I like that you think I make money from the series there is no money, that's a great idea, just thought in general, nothing I say can make it better I've learned that here, intentions are kind of irrelevant, actions are everything so we will try to make the best last three comics we can, we can and I will work really hard to make up for my mistakes, sorry again for all of it uh, she then went on to to quit Twitter um, with the final tweets stating Man Eaters has meant a lot to a small group of people and we will finish the last three issues for them I'm sorry I'm not who you want me to be and I'm sorry that Man Eaters can't be inclusive of every experience that's the long and short of it I guess that's the long of it um, that's, that's everything involved <laughs> in this kind of whole drama and I'm interested in talking to you guys about this for a few reasons number one uh. What do you think about the initial critiques of the book and Chelsea Kane's responding to those critiques by essentially saying that uh, her book is her perspective on a specific thing, not necessarily everything. And do you feel that Chelsea Kane was uh, wrong in printing the tweets in the book and what do you think she meant by that?
3: So Taylor Swift came out with a, a new single this week. I don't know I don't know if you guys have heard it. It's called uh, it's called Calm Down or something. And it's uh it's all about how haters on the internet should go outside and and uh, I can't believe you won't leave us alone. And it just this whole thing, when I saw it in our newsfeed, I was like, oh, that's what this is about. It just I don't know, man. I I have a hard time with this because even though it's a singular experience story, the story itself is a story about women and being a woman. But being a woman doesn't just include white people or white women. So...
2: Well, wasn't it... I didn't think it was about... Did I did I miss that part? I dropped out in the call for a second. Would you criticize that
1: too? The specific issue at hand here is about trans experiences. Uh the book has been taken to task a little bit for not re- representing people of color, but I would okay. say that's ancillary to this particular conversation.
0: Okay. But are uh, are you just saying that because that is her experience? Is that what you meant?
3: Uh, well, I guess the the um, the character is a a young white woman. Yeah, um, that's the main character. So, well, so white, white cisgender woman, I guess, is is more accurate to say. Um, uh, well, I, what was that face for Sean?
1: Nothing.
2: That, that's the term. I'm. <laughs> so, I think for me, this is such a it's such a hard thing to comment on because I whenever I see like this issue come up like specifically the issue of um, of being critical of like you know quote unquote like like white feminism or or, or turfs or, or what have you um, I, I guess I don't I don't know what to make of it because like I don't have an experience as a woman or as a trans person. Right. So like for for me to weigh in on it. it, Yeah. Right. For real. Um, for me to weigh in on it is like, it's obviously from, uh, an outside perspective. So like take anything I'm going to say with a grain of salt. Um, but I, I guess I get tripped up on it because I think sometimes when that, this narrative emerges, right? Like Chelsea Kane is wrong for not being representative of like the entire female experience. Like I don't, is that really her narrative to tell, you know, like I I understand wanting to like, they're given the subject matter and specifically the hormone blocking element of it. It does seem like something that should be addressed in universe, right? Like I think that uh, what Kale brought up there, that seems like a valid criticism. Um, but I think her exploring it beyond that, is that something that, like, that, it almost seems like a damned if you do damned if you don't kind of thing, right? Because we've talked multiple times uh, with this in the context of race, right? Where there's been critiques of white authors writing people of color or male authors writing women. And what does a 40-year-old white man know about a young white woman's experience or or whatever, right? So why is that okay to say about white men, but Chelsea Kane's being criticized for it because she's not doing that, you know? And and I, I guess I don't... I, I guess I just don't really know what the right thing was for her to do to not have this come out this way. And, and I'm not defending her putting the tweets in the comic. I think that was not probably the right move. That's throwing gasoline on the fire, um, whether it's funny or not. And I, I think that there is a an element of immaturity to the way that she responded to these criticisms by very much flipping out and kind of like getting very defensive. I can't do anything right. I'm sorry, I'm not the person you want me to be. But then again, knowing her And her truth and her context of her experience in this industry is every time she tries to make a comic, people fucking attack her. When she tried to make a comic about feminism at Marvel, she got attacked by right-wing nuts and fucking sexist assholes. And now she's trying to write this feminist comic and image and she's being criticized for not being feminist enough or for being exclusionary and i'm sure she's just fucking over it you know so i'm not here to say that the criticism of her or of man eaters is totally unfounded but i also feel like the portrayal of her as like some kind of villain feels like very unfair considering the context of her experience in this industry and like she was trying to tell a story that was true to her experience and herself and i don't know that that means she needs to include like you know what i mean it's just like i i, I and i don't know right i don't know what the right answer is to that because my fucking experience is so outside of this conversation so i don't pretend to know the answer here but i feel like I feel like there is a little bit of just, like... I just feel like this whole situation feels unfair. Like, across the board. Like, her reaction to being called out for how she could have done a better job was unfair. And I feel like the demonization of her also seems, like, a bit extreme for the situation, I guess, is my takeaway.
0: Uh... Sean, I'll address your second question first. Yeah. I think the tweets are petty. <laughs> yeah. That's I think petty that's shit. very
2: fair to say. <laughs> that's petty
0: shit. But, uh, but then it also sort of paints the picture with respect to your first question, right? Like it, she obviously felt a certain way about the feedback that she had received. Um, and she wanted to express that. Not a great way to do it, but uh, if you are going to do it, and the way that she ends up like freaking out on Twitter, um, to to Pete's point on like her being sort of villainized, uh, I, I I agree that she's like she wrote the the book the way that she had wanted to to write the book, and if there was a miss from a uh from a group that thought that they weren't represented, that's a shame, but. It's also not necessarily on her to write to write it in in a, in a way that maybe she might have to include them, right? It, it's just the way that she had ended ended up writing the book. Like, there's no necessarily mandate to do so and mandate to not do so. And if you didn't or you don't, like, it it's in the past. So like, moving forward, I think is maybe something to consider. But like, looking back, fine, it was a. Potentially a miss, um, but to see her sort of get demonized, I think, is kind of sucks. Um, in with respect to just like you, you want to put out a piece of art, right? And and we've had conversations here on on art being like art for art's sake or like art being able to tell a story. And this was telling a specific story with specific context. Um, so it sucks that her art was. Demonized in that way, but if people don't feel like it's representative of them, or I, I mean, like, we, we can, we can, and not to like compare it, you know what? I won't compare it, but <laughs> but like, um, you don't want to upset people, and if this is upset people, this isn't the reaction. I would say more so like I'll adjust more so the reaction than the actual context of it. Cause to Pete's point, I, this isn't a lived experience for me, nor is it one that I feel I can comment on without having some sort of bias or some sort of lack therein of knowledge to inform it. Um, Cause it is a conversation that is absolutely important, but not one that I can say yes or no to because i frankly am not within the the community i don't know enough and i don't um i'll put my foot in my mouth but like that's not helpful for people who might want to form an opinion her reaction was definitely a freak out and not so not not a way to approach a situation like this um and then the pettiness like including the, the the tweets in the actual book like come on, dude, like, you're, you got flack, like, you were, you, you're getting shit slung at you, like, don't, don't dig yourself any deeper into this hole, and whoops, you fell into a manhole, like, you know? Uh-huh. I wonder,
3: I wonder if it's her response that has made this so much worse.
0: I think that's what it was, honestly, like, yeah. it, it, like, the, the, the content piece of it, like, it, it, it's her book, she's gonna write it the way she's gonna write it, and whether or not people feel like, they're they're there or they're not. I mean,
3: and it, it happens. And people are going to critique it. How they're going to critique it? Sure, but I think it's I think it's when that creator reaches out to engage with that uh, critic, and then does it shittily,
0: or 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 without nuance. Like the, the people wanted nuance in the book, she didn't deliver on that. But you can approach the conversation with nuance. Yeah,
3: yeah. I think the, I, I think the 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 conversation between the creator and the critic, as you said, also needed some nuance, and she came across as very immature about it. And uh, I think I think that's that's where the the conflict really comes in.
1: I've been seeing criticism of for forever, and. Um I don't know. I have complicated feelings about this. Like on one level, I think she was definitely petty. On another level, that's the kind of pettiness I'm here for. Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna be honest. Like I think that's just funny, and I, I, I mean, like it's definitely disrespectful. But at what point do we look at things from the creator's point of view? Like since we started doing this podcast, I feel like there have been so many creators who have been attacked. Um, some of it has been justified in cases where it's like egregiously bad stuff that a person might say. Um, but when it comes to what's inside of a comic book, um, that's their story, I feel like. Right. And, right. you know, a lot of these stories, especially the ones that don't come from the big two, are extremely personal. And the expectation that an individual person is going to tell a story that's inclusive for all narratives is ridiculous you can't expect that um and you know the whole like the specifics of what she should or shouldn't include in a story i feel like those are those are her choices to make and anyone can anyone you know can feel how they want to feel about that for sure but um you have to understand that if she tells if she tries to tell your story and she gets it wrong was she right for trying at all? You know, like...
2: Yeah, I think that's a great point, Sean. And I think, like, that's where I get, I get tripped up on this when we get in this dialogue, is it's one thing to critique Chelsea Kane's work for saying, like, you know, I feel like it lacks the nuance that it should when dealing with these issues. That's a critique, right? But to say, like, she's wrong for not including these narrative threads or representing these people in this way or or like that feels like that feels like you get into that territory where like you are telling her what the book should be about and what it should say and and I don't feel like that's your job as a critic I don't think that's you know I don't like you can critique the work for not doing those things if you feel like it should and that's your right as a reader and a and a commentator but I think as soon as it becomes this kind of accusatory, like, because, I don't know, like, I feel like on some level, some of the initial critiques are also kind of, like, biting in a way that's personal, you know? So it's almost like, how could she not take them personally? And I think Chelsea Kane's job as a creator, on some level, is to rise above that and not get down in the muck, and you know? But, like, in the same breath, like, you're, I think you're right Sean that it's like I looking at it from her, her perspective I understand why she's frustrated
1: yeah um, and I, I think about like I think about so many different instances like when um Mark Wade and JG Jones did story strange fruit they got annihilated for even trying to tell that story and just for context it was a story about a black alien like he's just, his skin is black but he's an alien so it's not like yeah um who arrives at a critical point in our in America's history with race um post slavery but 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 not like we weren't that far along in in freedom for black people and they got shit on for trying to tell that story and it's like Alright. Was the story offensive? No. I read it. I'm black. I, didn't, I wasn't offended. I was like, this is awesome, actually. A black superhero who's not from Marvel or DC. I've really not seen this very often in history. I like this. And it felt it felt real. Like, real. You know? Um, yeah. And... But they got trashed. And I felt like that was wrong. Um, because they, they tried something different. What... It, like... We, we complain about our narratives not being told in, our, in 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 media but then when it happens we don't want to see white people doing it so what like what is the I, I don't know it just it just feels like there's nothing right that you can do and so for me personally I choose to let creators tell the stories that they want to tell and if it's good then it's good if it's a good story it's a good story and if it's bad it's a bad story but Whatever they're wanting to do with that story is, is on them. And I really don't look at it much beyond that.
0: And to that point, like if if like a, a white creator or somebody who isn't the the creator that aligns with what they're trying to represent, right? But you do find a creator who maybe down the line does... Like the the differences with respect to storytelling is that nuance that we've talked about, right? Like like there could have been hundred like I haven't read Strange Fruit, but like there could have a hundred percent been stuff that's been informed by his lived experience that might have been contextually relevant. But if uh if you are a creator who is black and who wrote who might have written that story, maybe there's a different context for it. And all, all that really all that really denotes is that there's differences in storytelling at the end of the day.
1: Uh, hey, um, if you are someone who is looking for stories that are more speaking to your experience, the great thing about um, comics is that every day we get more and more diversity within the medium, you know, um, for for all kinds of people. Is it enough? Probably not. But, you know, we're, we're it's, it's happening every day. And instead of trashing someone for not doing what you want, find the people who are doing what you want and big them up and celebrate that. I think that's a positive way of dealing with it instead of always being negative. That's my that's my takeaway.
0: And to be petty, what the fuck image? You're going to publish this shit, but not American Asian. Fuck off. Hey,
1: I'm with that. I'm definitely with that. Um, So speaking of creator meltdowns, Rob Liefeld, he had one of his own kind of a weird one
2: yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) like what a weird story this was yeah um
1: he he started he started with saying dc comics gonna drive off a cliff here real soon gotta get my popcorn uh and then he said I ain't never seen a company in as much disarray as DC Comics. Thank God they have Batman to act as their Tylenol, aspirin, laughing gas. Quote, more Batman will fix it. With a laughing emoji.
3: And listen, he's not wrong so far. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: and, and he got a ton of flack from fans over this. Uh, people accusing him of being you know, Marvel loyalist and trashing DC because he's a Marvelite and all kinds of stuff, which that is stupid because he works for DC. He just did work for DC. Um and he has a history of doing stuff with DC. So I don't think
2: I don't know that it's coming from that place. But dude, Rob Lipton's tweets on this whole like he goes, "I just worked for DC, lame reach." <laughs> <laughs> he tweets
1: like he's 22. Like
2: he, he really Dude, yeah, does. He's just he's just out there getting in the mud with people. Yep. He don't care. You
1: know
3: You know what his Twitter reminds me of? Share and her Twitter presence. <laughs>
1: oh, she like Have you that? guys seen
3: her Twitter? No. She's she's wild. Sweet. Like if if there
1: were a a share bot couldn't
3: be better than Share at Twitter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> um one of the things that he said and and by the way, after this whole like meltdown. Um, He said that he was leaving Twitter. Uh, He said that he would be exclusively at Instagram. Um, So, of course, that's Instagram's gain. Uh, He said... He his Twitter he account's still up, though. Yeah, he hasn't. Yeah, left. he hasn't. Yeah, he hasn't left. He, he was tweeting this morning. Yeah. Um. He he also said one of these tweets. I own more DC comics than you could
2: imagine. That's like. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a like. That's such a like twenty something tweet where someone's like, "Oh, you don't even read DC," and he's like, "Here's a picture of my long boxes, bitch." Like. <laughs>
1: I, that's something I would do. Um, and. <laughs> And, That's something
2: you did to Matt.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, and I, w- I would do it again. So, the the weird thing he said that I... Uh, it's not here in the Bleeding Cool article for whatever reason, but I recall this specifically, is he said that DC most recently reached out to him to work on a crossover with Image Comics where they were going to take Image Comics characters and pair them up. With DC characters, not too dissimilar from the Hanna Barbera stuff that they did. What? Yeah, that sounds terrible. That's insane. What? That sounds kind of cool.
3: No, it isn't. It,
1: well, Image has a ton of characters. A lot of them are actually awesome, but um, I'm not sure how that works. Yeah, how would
3: that? How would that fit with the DC characters? I mean, other than Spawn and
0: Batman, like it
3: probably wouldn't.
0: What do you mean, profit? Like but like
2: '90s probably. Invincible.
0: Invincible. Invincible. Like in Superman maybe. Savage Dragon.
2: Yeah. So Invincible is go. like gone now though. I don't know if they hey. bring it back for a crossover. He's he not would dead. That'd be sick. I could. I'd, they? I'd, I'll tell you what. I'd buy it. Yeah. They do that. There's a market. So, they did it. They did it with uh, with with Marvel once. They had him cross over with Spider-Man. It'd be perfect. Right.
1: Yeah, that was that was kind of the reason why I wanted to talk about this because first of all, like, first of all, that's a crazy idea. Second of all,
2: why because. is why is Rob Liefeld
1: saying that
2: publicly? You guys, dude, I need to read some more of his tweets too. Like, he just doesn't give a fuck. Like. Someone goes, "Oh, you do realize Marvel went bankrupt legit went bankrupt in the '90s, right?" He goes, "What does that have to do with the price of lemons?" <laughs> Yo, <laughs> he, twe- he, he tweets a picture of a dude, just a picture of one of the guys who I guess was giving him shit. And he goes, "It's just a picture of this dude currently talking trash to me." Dot dot dot. Come on, like just like calling this guy out. And then he goes. <laughs> This, this quote tweet somebody Why are you so butthurt about DC? It's very unprofessional For a best-selling Deadpool author, right? He put that in quotes And then Rob Liefeld goes My butt feels really good Thanks for the concern, though
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's a savage He really is Like he
0: doesn't yeah, shout care out, Shout out to my dude uh, At MediaslaveCA CA. He called him the KFC of comics.
2: <laughs> That's so fucking rude, Damn. dude.
0: <laughs> Yo, I love this thing.
1: <laughs> that is actually extremely rude. Yeah, but it's but it's but it's funny. <laughs> it's he, funny
2: goes, he goes. He goes. You're the KFC of comics. Not very good. Not something many will admit liking. But strangely, still around. <laughs> it's fucking Every, rude. Everybody so loves
0: rude. KFC. It's not over Popeyes. Popeyes well, is I mean, the greatest. Popeyes is time. the shit.
1: I want that. Okay, but right that's now. Mark Silvestri. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I really don't have much more to say about this except that we should make it a regular segment to uh, just read Rob Liefeld tweets on the air. Can we? <laughs> Can we literally <laughs> yeah. do that?
2: Because I would do that every week. I, think, I fucking love Rob Liefeld. On Twitter. I think that's what
1: we're gonna do. And for context, the Comics Pals are blocked by Rob Liefeld on Twitter. Don't know why. Wait, um, I still don't know I mean, why. Yeah, he, he, won't, he won't. Yeah, he won't unblock us either.
2: Did he? Did, we asked him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did we asked no? him. And he,
1: he just didn't. He didn't reply.
2: Yo, whatever. I, if he hates us, he hates us. I don't get him, man. We interviewed him like two or three years ago. He was really nice. We did a great
1: interview. It's one of our best performing things we've ever done, and he just has us blocked. So what are you gonna do? Uh
3: <laughs> I mean, I mean, guy, guy like him and all the shit he gets, he probably just—it's a blanket ban, and if you're on it. Tough
1: shit. He don't remember why, but if you're there, you're there for a reason.
2: Yeah, he probably like we probably got blockchain somehow where it's just like all all accounts with comics in the title Block.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, real real quick, I want to I want to kind of breeze through the rest of the news if we can. Uh, Swamp thing was canceled. We talked about that last week. Real sad stuff. Um, Allegedly. There was supposed to be a three season arc. Uh, This is according to Business Insider a three season arc that was going to eventually lead to Justice League Dark.
0: Yep. Yep. You can do that easy. You slip in Constantine somewhere, like along the storyline, make this whole big grand thing. It's like one of the grander arcs for Alan Moore stuff, and then boom, JLD. Like and and you had stuff on Doom Patrol, so like people can swap in and out. Like it's. it's
2: oh yeah, that's true.
0: Um. Wack.
1: Justice League Dark. I feel like the, they keep trying to do this, and it just keeps not happening. Like the movie was supposed I don't to know come why. out. Why? That
2: yeah, movie. I, mean, I Guillermo De Toro. that. Yeah Guillermo, del Toro. yeah, Guillermo del Toro was attached for that like ten years ago. And yep. I was so excited for it.
3: I mean, this is the shit Rob Liefeld's talking about. <laughs> like. <laughs>
2: <laughs> DC can't get their shit together long enough to make a Justice League dark series dude he knows what he's talking about man he does that's funny he's the KFC of comics uh <laughs> Marco did you see you know, I just thought of do you guys think he blocked us because we accidentally used to keep tagging that parody account of him <laughs> that only happened once
1: <laughs> um did Marco did you watch the most recent swamp thing? I did not. Fake fan. Moving on. Uh,
2: Boom. So, Boom. Second time Damn. in the show where Sean has let you talk about Swamp Thing and you fucking dropped the ball, dude. You're as organized as DC over there, Marco.
1: <laughs> Pete and Bessie, the Rob Liefeld of the Comics Pals. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: that's a
2: fact. I, I Yo, can't drop Pete. That's a feet. fact.
1: Listen, do I tell lies on this podcast? That's a fact. Constantly. Wrong. <laughs> um, oh. So... Uh, Heroes in Crisis...
2: Hey, wait, real quick, hey. Kale, if I'm the Rob Liefeld, you're the Frank Miller, so sit on that one.
1: Ooh.
3: Well... Uh, that that sounds great, actually.
2: <laughs> well, Rob <laughs> yeah. Liefeld,
1: or uh, Frank Miller did Holy Terror, which is... I mean, listen, after 9-11, we were all a little... All right. You know, you know what? Let's even leave it there. Let's not even approach that. Um, Heroes in Crisis was an event that is... Well, let's just say it, it wasn't great. It happened. It's over now, but... Uh, DC Comics is continuing the narrative. They're not just gonna let it let it die. Um, we do have two spinoffs actually coming from Heroes in Crisis. One of them is a Wally West uh, follow-up. So it's gonna be called Flash Forward. It's a, this is a great move, of course. Six-issue story written by Scott Lobdell with art what by the Brett. Fuck? <laughs> What the
3: fuck?
0: Who does this? What is he? Yo, Rob liefeld he speaks the truth. Does he, does Scott Lobdell pay DC to
3: keep (laughs) letting him (laughs) work? Like, what? Who keeps doing this? He's not good. He's worse than Tom King. Damn.
2: I didn't appreciate that. I don't give a fuck shit <laughs> fuck shit fuck shit the, all, right, all right all right frank um, relax over there so go off on my
3: own holy terror
1: oh man <laughs> <laughs> i i regret that it's
0: staying in <laughs> um so like wait is this just gonna be like wally west in jail it's like, gonna be
3: fucking shit's what it's gonna be
0: <laughs> like what is like how do you spin out after a Heroes in Crisis he's, you put Scott Lobdell on a book that's how you spin out
1: <laughs> but he's in jail so right? according to this CBR article it says DC's fan favorite Speedster is set to embark on a mission to quote find redemption in a cosmos that has fought so hard to destroy him uh don't really know what that means it Scott out Lobdell doesn't
3: mean fucking anything
1: um yeah, that's what's happening with that, but the other one, a little more interesting, I think, is uh, actually a Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy series. Ooh, a little more sexy.
2: <laughs> you thirsty little bitch. <laughs> Yo, I was all
1: about that booty. Listen, I'm not gonna argue with you. Um, so it's the booty pop. It's called Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, and it's going to be created by Jody Hauser and Adriana Mello. Uh, oh, damn. Adriana Mello oh. is incredible. She is an incredible artist. Um, she- Dude, Poison Ivy looks fucking
2: jacked in this promotional image. Do you see this shit? Like, have you guys clicked through to this? It's insane. She's got like a fucking 12 pack.
1: Yeah,
3: Jody Hauser's on a hot streak too, man. So it's yep,
2: fucking cut,
1: dude. Um, you gonna let that go, feet, or? Uh...
2: <laughs> Alright, I'm done.
0: <laughs> I'm actually interested to read this one because, like, I know that she's been some somehow more included in like the green stuff, yeah. and like, so I'm I'm interested to see how that sort of plays out now that we know that she is legit just like a flower that grew up.
2: Yeah, they. I felt like they played they i feel like they were laying threads for that in heroes in crisis we didn't end up talking about it in our last review but i felt like when she came back like her voice patterns were a little bit different and they seemed yeah, a little yeah. subdued and i was like oh it's the green i think we talked about that we, yeah we, we
1: talked
3: did about we it, yeah. we only talked about it as much as they gave us but we yeah Fair we did talk about it
1: <laughs> um yeah honestly i don't really know if i care too much about either one of these i think that like with Wally West, it's going to take time to for me to want to read about him again and I, you know, no disrespect to either creator, but this is not the creative team that I would be willing to give a chance to. Um for it, because of the character. Because for me Wally West is just like done. I'm done with him for now. It's going to take something big to resurrect him. Things, uh, shit about
3: Scott Lobdell aside, I, for me, I think if Tom King had continued what he was trying to do in this series, or, or, you know, uh, if he finished his 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 vision with Wally, uh, I, I'd be all over that.
1: Wow, um, not me. I the only I'm, way, like in the immediate, that I could accept it is if it was done in the proper Flashbook. With Joshua Williamson Oh
3: Oh with Joshua Okay Yeah sure what, But Even put, put Joshua Williamson On this book That See Why that, Scott Lobdell That it Doesn't make A goddamn lick of sense
1: That I wouldn't want I, be, And the only reason Why I say that Is because I feel like Flash Or Wally's connection To Barry Is the only way I want to see Wally Right now um, hmm. Because We didn't get Barry At all Reacting to what took place, and that's weird as hell. So, um, and 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 Flash is currently doing the year one thing, so they can't even react to it at the moment anyway. Mm. But
3: oh, frankly, it's probably for the better. They're probably gonna right. drown that whole event Dude, in yeah everything that comes comes after.
1: Joshua Williamson has managed to avoid all the stink with anything that's happened. Like Flash has been in its own corner. Just being awesome, um, but moving on. Uh, Tom King is done with Heroes in Crisis. Uh, of course, you know his career has been in a little bit of a crisis. He spoke about that a little bit uh, in a recent interview, where he talked about what's coming up for him. Uh, he told he talked to Entertainment Weekly about how he's doing. Uh, you know, we we know he's doing the New Gods with Ava Duvernay. and uh, there's still a secret TV show that he's working on on top of States of America, which we talked about last year at some point. So he's a busy guy. Now, what he's about to claim, I'm really interested in what you guys have to say. Keep in mind the context of what we discussed before, that Tom King was actually removed deliberately from the Batman title because they were unhappy with what he was doing with the Nightmare Arc and all that. So this is what Tom King said. DC was kind enough to see that doing all that and a twice-monthly Batman book would be tough. So they divided the Batman book into two monthly books, Batman and Batman Catwoman. Bat-Cat will complete this epic story we've been telling and lead to this game-changing moment I've been hinting at. Now, do you guys believe that? to a degree.
3: Uh, I think they were kind enough in that they went to him and said, hey, look, you're clearly struggling.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I believe that the truth is probably somewhere in between the two narratives that we've heard here. Hmm. Um, I think Kale's definitely right on that, where, like, I doubt that even if... I, I forget <clears throat> the name of the gentleman who we were talking about who was, like, the the big dog Bob Harris yeah yeah thank you yeah where like even if he had a problem with Tom like if there was a contract if there were these things in place I'm sure that like it wouldn't be as simple as just being like you're off the book like we're at a snap I'm sure that it was like book is struggling we're gonna sit down and have a conversation about this and maybe Tom was like yeah like I overbooked myself here and I can see the quality is slipping and they decided that this was the path forward. That might be true. Um but it could also just be this is Tom's packaged PR response because no one's supposed to know that he was taken off the book like, you know, in disgrace as it were. It really could be either or.
1: It could also be that the original reporting wasn't true, but I don't believe that. Um <clears throat> I'm inclined to believe that it, it, that it's probably something like what you just said. And, you know, that's fine. I don't think that Tom King needs to go. Like, what's he going to do? Tell the truth. If, if, like, if it's totally true that he was just taken off the book unceremoniously, he's, like, he's not going to you know, say man, that.
2: <laughs> I signed too many contracts. My Batman book's starting to slip. Heroes in Crisis. So, like, what? no, that's yeah. not going to be the narrative, no. you know, like. Nor should but it
3: DC. Be. I've got too, I've got too much money right now to write Batman.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but the there was a cool announcement alongside this, and it really was just an image. Like it it, it wasn't words so much as just Tom King said on Twitter January 2020 and attached an image of the Phantasm with Batman oh, and right. Catwoman in the blade like you know being yeah. reflected in the yep, blade yep yep, yep. Fa- the phantasm is the uh antagonist from the mask of the phantasm uh animated movie that dc put out in the 90s and a lot of people not a minority like not a small minority of, of weirdos but a lot of people say that's the best batman anything ever it is Yeah, it's, it's yeah. super. Yeah, it's like i agree batman. with that yeah yeah yeah,
0: yeah yo that shit's hot son like i I, like i saw that i'm like oh word yeah i'm gonna get that shit i'm i'm very excited to see the phantasm in comics
3: i kind of wish someone else was doing it i'm (laughs) not gonna lie
1: (laughs) talk about that i just
3: i you know i i haven't I only read the first part of his uh, his his Batman stuff, and and it was enjoyable. You know, I, I think that's highly regarded. Still, yes. Um, I haven't gotten to Mister Miracle yet, but for the most part, I, from what I understand, it's still very highly regarded. But man, Heroes in Crisis really just took it out of me, and I, I love the Phantasm. Man, I don't. Okay. It'd be good if i mean it could be it could be good if this if this is where we're at okay
1: but I
3: boy i wish it was somebody
1: else <laughs> i i have a what i guess is a hot take i don't know um i personally feel that the worst part of tom king's batman run has been the batman catwoman like love relationship oh really Yeah, um, and it has nothing to do with Catwoman. I think Catwoman is an awesome character. It's just that the way Tom King writes them, I mean, there are literally pages where the only words are Bat-Cat, and it's annoying, frankly. It's not not interesting. It's not fun. There are issues of the book where it's just Batman and, and Superman and Catwoman and Lois Lane on a double date, and that sounds like it could be fun, but it's so dry that it just doesn't really bring what you would expect. Um, and it, it's it's Batman is acting like not Batman because he had his heart broken, but that flies in the face for me of every other time I've ever seen Batman have his heart broken and not care. And I I guess the point is that Tom King's trying to humanize Batman, and that's acceptable, but. It it when you like I don't like it when you can't make sense of what a character is doing when you look on their past and that this is one of those Batman's just acting dumb you know he punched Robin in part because he's so stressed out over this Catwoman thing not working out that he's you know in a weird mode and in Batman Rest in Peace Batman got played. Um, I can't remember what her name was, but she ended up working with the Black Glove, and she was playing him the whole time. And he was just like, okay, well, guess what? I already knew that. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I'm Batman. And that, that, that I'm Batman perspective bothers some people. It don't bother me. And that's a big reason why I don't enjoy this run as much as I could be. And so I don't know if I care about a book that focuses squarely on their love. And I don't really get how the phantasm plays into that.
3: I mean it's it's you've got to assume it's gonna bring in to Canon the phantasm character and and all her baggage, right so
1: hopefully they don't change her because they changed yeah. um the Arkham Knight, so hopefully this isn't just a situation where they're they're using the name you know we know it's mm-hmm. a woman yeah, that yeah. we know we don't know that we don't know who it is well what if it was a man
2: that'd be no yeah. that I don't want that people. I don't think people would be happy about that one. Um yeah,
3: I uh like to me that that makes the most sense is that they, you know, just bring her over. Um and that that alone is is the initial conflict, but um
1: yeah. But what I is it what's she gonna be? A jealous ex girlfriend? Like what is the what's the swing like?
0: I was well, just thinking probably. that, like I, I I hope it's not like where they make Batman the the focus of like a love triangle, like, yeah, like that's that's shitty.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't think that would be a good look either. That's
1: a waste. That is a waste. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to. But that's
3: that's that's what I'm hesitant about. Right. That's why I'm like, you know, I would kind of prefer someone with actual vision
2: in in this to do it. I think I think it's very much we have. This is like a wait and see thing. We just have to see how it turns out because I think like. To come at it and assume it's going to be bad is like, you know, it ignores the times that he's gotten it right, you know? And and I think uh, Heroes in Crisis left a bad taste in our mouth. Batman's obviously been in a a rough spot, but you don't know. This could be a story that he's had planned for a while. It could be something that he's, like, been waiting to execute on and he's got a great idea. We just got to see how it turns out and and hope for the best.
0: I mean, technically phantasm was like a former lover yeah so like i don't know well we'll see she was i guess what
1: i what i meant was like i don't want it to just be that she's a jealous ex who sees jilted ex right who sees their relationship and wants to destroy it just for just to do it you know she's dead
3: it's not a talia situation every time she shows up in batman
1: Right, like with it works totally with Talia Al Ghul because she is petty and jealous, and that's you know whatever. But you know yeah. I don't we don't need another one of that. But the the question that I had for you guys um, was, do you think that this was always the plan, or do you feel that maybe this is like, a, okay, well we took you off the book, you can do whatever you want, and then Tom's like, well I want to use the Phantasm, and like, all right,
2: I don't know. I, and I I feel like it's it's hard to speculate until it comes out get more yeah yeah because when it comes out I feel like there's totally a chance right that like this has been leading to this and it makes perfect sense and you're gonna be like oh cool I see why we're doing this you know um, or it could just be that like Tom really likes Phantasm and wanted to use the character and they're giving him the the, the shot you know.
3: Yeah, I mean, you gotta think like, you know, he he said that the Batcat book was supposed to be the end of his run. You know, the last however many issues. So, you know, maybe maybe the the thing was, you know, after City of Bane, you know, Batman thinks, okay, great, I get to live my life with Catwoman now, and everything's fine, and then boom, here's a phantasm.
1: I'll leave the last word with a couple Twitter interactions and Tom King himself. Uh, Someone said, "To be honest, the last thing I want is to is to see the last thing I want to see is making another Talia." Uh, Andrea, in my memory, will never come to that crazy X path. She is the most well written original animated character. I hope Mister King doesn't just do Talia's cheap copy. It's pointless and will ruin the character. And Tom King replied and said, "Agreed." So.
2: All right,
1: he's aware of it.
2: Oh. God,
3: that does nothing for me.
2: <laughs> All right, we gotta just we gotta just see, man. You know, I think I think my man has earned the benefit of the doubt, and if this one goes belly up, next time I won't be so confident.
1: <laughs> Long time to wait, January 2020 for that. Hope it's good. So we're gonna close out the show this week with a review of Event Leviathan Number One. This is the first issue of the six-issue mini-series event, it's a DC Summer Event, uh, and they tapped Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev for this one. Um, and this is kind of building off the what's been going on in Superman. There's like a huge conspiracy uh, where all these different like secret agencies that exist within DC have been under attack, and they've basically all been destroyed. Um,
0: oh, I wonder is that where is that where Phil is? <laughs> I mean, we haven't heard from him in a while, so could be related, I mean, honestly. Um, I actually, in preparation for
1: this, and just because of my initiative of trying to catch up with everything and that I can, went and read everything that Bendis has written Superman wise, um, since he came back. And uh, the main Superman title has nothing at all to do with this, but Action Comics. Actually, has a lot to do with this, and it filled in some of like the questions that we had when we read the Leviathan Rising special. Um, and if it comes up, I'll bring it up, but I'm not gonna burden the review with what I got out of it. Um, so what did you guys think of Event Leviathan? Anyone got any uh, hot takes they want to run with?
0: I was confused. Why? Because again, it's it's informed by. It, it seems like it's informed by a lot, and so the context, like really. Well uh, just with respect to like all the agencies and like all this shit, it's like it felt like there was a lot that had happened in the background that I just wasn't privy to that I feel could have enhanced the, the story a bit hmm. um, at, interesting because I um, have
3: I have experience with all of these organizations and I nothing I know added to that. The My only ones
0: is- the, the only one I knew was spiral Task Force X and Argus. So like uh some of the other ones Dio Cadmus whatever else they're, they're Cobra like I, I I didn't really know so like obviously that's just a lack of general knowledge but um I I, I it was okay I it didn't blow me away like uh, or entertain me as much as I think the Leviathan Rising like that was that was cool it it introduced like sort of the the villain in a more um upfront manner and then here he's kind of just like the super villain. Um so I, I think I, I liked I enjoyed that aspect more when um we he was kind of like a shadowy figure, less so like the powerhouse. But here he's kind of come in he came in as the the powerhouse um which was fine but uh it didn't it didn't excite me as much and um some of the the art was on point, yo. That shit was cool. That I will say was was a, was a lot of fun. Really, really cool yeah. to look at. Um, the
2: uh, yeah, Alex Malieve and and who's the colorist on this one?
1: It's the the colorist is uh oh, Joshua. No, no, it's it. It. it's Alex Maliv right? Oh, oh, oh is yeah.
3: It? yeah. Well, it says art and cover.
1: Because yeah, he does as art. He like, does all his own stuff, remember? Like okay, that's okay. his yeah.
2: Oh, Alright, well then yeah, Alex Malieve like firing on all fucking cylinders. I thought yeah. like cover to cover. I really thought they're like, especially the color work in this book was really good. That first page of uh of Batman scaling the building like at sundown, just beautiful. Really, really good work. Really fucking good work.
0: I think like by, by the end of it for me the I generally don't like when the the villains motivation is to make a new world I just for me that always just falls flat but I think with the with the scientists that they that they do end up grabbing or he ends up grabbing or they end up grabbing like uh, I, I I see I see the potential there and like the the drive more so than he's just a villain that's trying to like change the world he's like there's an intention uh, and i'm I'm interested to dig in a little bit more into that intention and how this character is gonna play into the the rest of the story.
1: i I enjoyed this quite a bit. Um, but I think that some of that has to do with the fact that prior to reading this, I had literally just read all of action comics. So there are some things that happen there that really inform this stuff and make it a lot cooler. Um and like I said, I wasn't gonna bog down the, the review with that stuff, but there is one thing that I wanted to add that I feel well, like fuck that Well just, <laughs> just one thing. Um when when the DEO explodes because of that big blue guy, like he's all over action comics, and you see the one day where he just it blows up all of these organizations at once. And um when the DEO explodes, bones Who's the guy who's just bones? He's just like literally like looks like a skeleton. Um,
3: it's Leonard McCoy from Star Trek. <laughs> uh,
1: he he actually like gets gets picked up by a, what he what what is presented as an FBI interrogator, and he realizes through the FBI interrogator's dialogue that that's not really someone who works for the FBI, and you you that's our, that's supposed to be your first. You're the first time you see Leviathan um, for us on this podcast. Our first time was in the Re- Leviathan Rising special, but it's such a cool moment. Um, and leading right into this is is that essentially. Um, so it just it just made it more epic. There was more buildup. This issue is very kind of like um, small, especially in comparison to Leviathan Rising. And that's how Bendis, I think, likes to operate sometimes, which I'm fine with, because I think that this is not supposed to be a big, sprawling, you know, superhero punch out fest. It, it is billed as a mystery thriller. That's a little different. So um, with that in mind, you know, focusing on a select few characters, especially characters who, you know, this is what they're involved in typically, like Batman and Lois Lane um, even Green Arrow. I really like that. That's a cool uh group. Um Steve Trevor, I think he acted really weird in this issue. I didn't like that. Um,
2: yeah, I was very confused by his behavior. Yep, yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say I agree with everything that you laid out there, Sean. The only like thing that really like kind of tripped me up was like some of the dialogue was really rough. And it wasn't even, like, Bendis-speak, where it was, like, people just, like, talking too much or anything. But I thought, like, his voice for Batman was really weird for me. Yeah,
3: yeah. It was janky.
2: Um, Yeah, like, very janky. I think that's, like, exactly the word I would use. Like, I remember on page one—what uh, is it, page two? Yeah, page two. It's when him and Lois first meet each other. And he said— he says, did he who gave you that Kryptonian weapon drop you here? She goes, I got in here myself. And he goes, no offense meant it's a rational deduction. And it just feels like very like like robotic, you know?
1: So there's a reason I think why he spoke that way. And this is me extrapolating because of what's been happening in the Batman book or the Superman books. There's a distinct, um, there's a distinct thing people do when bendis writes superman comics where they don't want superman to know that they're talking about him where he, they'll say other they'll you they'll say other things that let you know that he's talking about superman but not say superman and i think that's what batman was doing right there
3: we saw that we saw that in right rising with
1: the uh yeah.
3: whoever that woman we thought was yeah. amanda waller
2: but even even that aside like it's it's less that like He said, oh, like, because, like, the normal way to say that would be, like, oh, did did the person who gave you that weapon, you know, like, leave you here or whatever? Like, not, did he who gave you that Kryptonian weapon, you know? And, like, I think that's the thing that's tripping me up. And it's not just that. That was just the one that I remember, like, when I was taking notes on the issue for our review. Like, that was the line that stuck out to me as being the most strange yeah. yeah,
3: for me for me, I did also get a, a weird feeling with Batman's dialogue. It, it and I felt this with uh Rising as well. There's a, a level of unfamiliarity that Lois and Batman seem to have. And it's weird to me because I feel yeah. like at this point they should be not necessarily close, but it should be easier for them to talk than it feel, feels like it is?
2: Yeah, like it feels, it feels like overly formal for characters that were supposed to believe in the same canon, like went on a double date in Tom King's Batman, you know? And they don't have to be like best friends, but like I, I agree with you, Kale. It, it, felt, it felt that way to me too. Like there was distance between them in a way that like didn't make sense to me.
0: They they had met in uh, Leviathan Rising too, right? Well, Kale was saying it was weird in that too. No, I know, but I'm just saying like they have yeah. met in that in the past. Yeah. There, right? so even even just in like in for context here, like they they know what they're about.
1: So uh, I never quibble with Batman acting hyper formal with anyone, just because Batman when he has the costume on, he, it's like he might as well not even know you a lot of the time where Where I agree with you guys though, is that throughout Bennis's run he writes batman um oof man, how do I express this? uh he writes Batman like Batman's not a human
3: yeah that okay that that sort of leads into I was gonna add this on top of my point I, when when people who aren't in the superhero community see Batman. He's he's supposed to be a myth. And and I think I think because of our familiarity with Batman, often that gets lost both on us as the audience, but it's also not always recognized by writers. And so the, the dialogue often feels overly familiar and like, you know, you're <clears throat> you're looking at something you see oh every day oh it's just batman right when batman in metropolis or Co city here i i if i recall correctly yeah uh, is a weird sight Mm
2: -hmm. yeah that makes sense i don't know and and like I, i think even with that explanation there's just something about the voice that bendis has in his head for batman that just doesn't jive with me. Yeah, he, I I agree.
1: He's been criticized for that from the jump. He writes Batman in a weird way, and even in one of the earlier issues, like Batman, Batman tells Superman that he has to, he, he all of a sudden has to take a shit. Like it's just really weird. Like
2: it's it's almost like he's making
1: fun of Batman,
2: not writing Batman. And you know what's the thing for me too, and I think a lot of people our age do this. A lot of times when I read Batman comics. Uh, like I kind of like hear like um Kevin Conroy's, Kevin Conroy's voice, voice yeah. in my head, yeah, yeah, and I'm like, this feels so like it feels like Microsoft Sam reading Batman dialogue or something, you know, like because like, like here's another one, and it and it's not a weird, it's not weird dialogue, it's just a few pages in, it's after uh, it's when they're talking to Steve Trevor, and Batman goes but I do not think she has anything to do with this. And it's like the do not like what, like why not say don't like, that's what like nobody says do not in like a regular sentence like that. You know what I mean? Like if you ever met somebody that like weirdly formal and it's like, again, I, I get what you're saying, Sean, Where like, there is the whole thing that like Batman has formality when he's like in the cowl, but it's like, this is with people that he knows it's not randoms you know it's like he knows lois lane he knows steve trevor like so it just feels strange and it's it wasn't enough to like turn me off to the issue but it definitely took me out of his dialogue sometimes
1: my biggest critique of this issue is that it's too short i think this issue should have been for a first issue it should have been at least a few more pages if not double sized i think it 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 doesn't accomplish quite enough for me, um, and I think if I were coming in cold with like no context at all, it'd be really hard to, to to get into it because by the time it starts, it ends. So yep. yeah, yeah, I,
3: yeah. I wish I wish a little bit more happens than just this conversation and the flashback.
1: And I'm willing to bet that if, that if it was any other artist, that'd be the case. But Alex Malieves, you know, the way he works is such that you can't really, you can't expect that from him. Um, no.
2: And I guess it's worth it because, like, holy shit, this book looks so good. Yeah. And that's the biggest
1: <laughs> positive is that it's a really attractive book. The self for me and why I'm excited to keep reading this and why I enjoy this issue has less to do with what happened and more to do with the promise of what's to come. And I think yeah, with agreed. issue ones, because of how packed they can be, sometimes that's what you get. And this book benefits from the fact that it did have the Leviathan Rising special. You might as well consider that an issue zero. Um, yeah. It doesn't fit do. tonally with this, but contextually it does. So um, with all that being said, I enjoyed this issue and I'm, I am all in on Event Leviathan for sure. Um, if it gets bad, then, you know, it gets bad. But for now, um, whatever gripes I might've had, which really weren't many, those I feel like can easily be alleviated and are offset by fantastic art. And the fact that Bendis, he clearly has something he's doing with this that has me excited personally.
2: Yeah, no, I'm with you on that one for sure. Uh, I'm interested in seeing where it goes. Uh, something that I thought was kind of weird, though, was did you guys like like I, I cover great cover, right? And it was such a great cover that it really stuck out in my mind. So when I was reading the issue and like the question is only shown on that tiny little page, I'm like, why isn't Lois Lane on the cover? The whole fucking issue is the three of them talking. Oh Yeah. You know, it's like at this point, questions not even in the story yet. Like we know he's on the fringe and they want to unite all the best detectives. Great. But like.
3: I saw that was a weird choice. Did you notice how uh, the question pops up when the dialogue oh, yeah. is that, that is the is question? The question. <laughs> yeah. <That> was cheesy. <laughs> yeah. That's cheesy, but that's yeah, that's that's good. That's um, good comedy. That's my though. stuff, I like man.
1: That. I like that. I have, yeah.
3: I have, I have one more thing. Did you guys notice? Um, it's when Steve Trevor attacks Batman and Lois, and then is shot by Green Arrow. It's when we see the arrow. In the last panel on that page, Steve Trevor has a weird tattoo. Yeah. Yeah, they show it.
2: They oh, accentuate it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I, wonder, I wonder if he's like an agent.
3: I, yeah. I Yeah, I'm wondering the same thing because that would also explain his weird dialogue.
2: Mm-hmm. It doesn't explain why he was trying to save the doctor, though. That might not be. This might not be that Steve Trevor. Oh shit! Yeah, because That's a the great crux, Keeper.
1: The crux of their conversation this is a good point, uh, Kale. The crux of their conversation was why are you alive? You know, yeah. like that was that was definitely brought up.
3: And and, and yeah. frankly, he, he he straight up says, "I survived. I am Leviathan." And then he pivots and he's like, "Oh wait, Lois Lane is Leviathan."
1: Right. And then he tries to to point the finger. And I actually thought that his dialogue, like, I never thought of what you just said. I think you're, you're making an awesome point, but. What I thought originally was like, man, that's really smart that he would recognize that now he's the number one suspect for who Leviathan is. And then to also point the finger at them makes sense. Not point the finger, but point out like how genius this whole plan was. And if he really is an agent of Leviathan, like he's been mind controlled or whatever, that is so awesome. You know, we'll be able to look back on this later when we find if we find that out to be the case and go, oh, man, my man, Leviathan yeah. wheels within wheels, you know. So, yeah. you know,
2: what, you know what I, I want to point out, too, just to see what you guys think about this. If you look at the page where Trevor's like, you have to run right now. And then, like, you, you see seemingly the doctor die. Obviously, that wasn't the case. Right. Like they, they show him that last panel and he's like screaming like, oh, like, oh, fuck. Then there's the big explosion, cut back, and it's him sitting in the bubble still, right? And he looks like he's, like, shocked by what's going on. Well, yeah, he's, like, crouched. And then he's got a totally different expression on the next page. And there's that image again of the thing, like, whirling. It looks like him, like, looking out from the bubble. I wonder if if that's supposed to signify that they've been switched somehow. Because, like, there's that change in emotional state without like any real prompting. Like and I, I when I read it the first time I was thinking, oh, he was shocked and now he's like angry or upset. But I wonder if that I wonder if that's actually supposed to be a fake out for what Kills
3: put mm, down there. I don't know. I, I read that more as I I mean I'm not discounting your theory, but I, I read that more as the shift into um
0: the present yeah, know, yeah, like, like the wreckage. Yep. Yeah.
2: That's how I read it at the time, but now that you put out that theory, and I'm looking at the page, I'm wondering if maybe there are some threads to to clue us in there as well.
1: Just while you guys have been talking, I've been looking at images of Steve Trevor, and you know, I haven't looked at every image of him of all time, but I don't see him ever having a tattoo like that. That was my the thought too, because he's that yeah. he's that
3: all American, clean cut. Yeah,
1: yeah, so.
2: Uh, any any final thoughts or are we good very interesting um, overall I thought this was a good issue uh, you know I, I think oh you know what there was one more thing remember when we weren't sure if that was Amanda Waller in the last issue yeah. it definitely was they brought that up no nah, it wasn't no it wasn't it wasn't no they it wasn't no, no. definitely not but it, then okay so Lois <laughs> just brought that up it's, like aside from that
3: uh yeah, what, because what's the line Lois, of dialogue? Lois brings
2: uh Lois brings up uh
3: that Leviathan went after Amanda Waller, who runs Task Force X and Argus, uh and they came after her in her own home. They came after that character, whoever she was, they didn't even come after her. She was in a bookstore, and then we see her later um in her home and She's with uh uh who whoever replaced Lois at the Daily Planet.
1: I wish I could remember their names, but that but <sighs> yeah, you need like again, there's context missing. So that woman Okay that woman actually um she runs she basically like runs crime in in, in um Metropolis, now. Metropolis Oh right, So
2: then they tease that in that in the Okay.
1: And that other woman she was with is the Red Mist and she tried to fight Superman she beats Superman, and then he like tells her, leave Metropolis, or you're going to not like what happens. Um, and also, Amanda Waller gets pushed out a window by... We don't see it happen, so it's possible that she was lying, but she says she gets pushed out a window by whoever Leviathan is. And then she goes into hiding and shoots Lois Lane's father. And she's currently... In the Fortress of Solitude with Jimmy Olsen. So, oh, all right. That's what's going on. God,
0: there. Sean, you—you said you weren't going to inundate us with knowledge.
1: Hey, God. Man. I
2: needed that context. I was like, Pete seemed yeah. like you needed some help. I wanted to help out. I appreciated it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, that—that that closes that loop for me. Rookie uh, level
3: comics, man. Pay attention. Jesus.
2: Jesus. <laughs> it's like Kale's just like picks on me all the time now. Uh, that's like his new thing in 2019. It's just bully me. <laughs> All right, so we're going to follow Event
1: Event Leviathan, six issues, five to go. Uh, We'll be here, I believe, monthly with reviews of that book for you guys. If you read it, let us know your thoughts about this issue. Let us know your thoughts about Bendis' run on Superman and. What do you think of his weird Batman dialogue? If you have any thoughts about that, you can write to us at the at gmail.com. You can get us on all, all uh, social media platforms at the ComicsPals And, of course, any podcast hosting platform that you choose that we're on. Uh, we're on most of them. If we're not we're, where you want us to be, let us know and we'll get there. Thanks again to Casey from the Comics Jam. Comic Jam, sorry. I hate it when people do that to us. So, you know, uh, The Comic Jam. Uh, you can find those guys at the thecomicjam.com, The Comic Jam on social media platforms and all that good stuff. Um, get our book clubs. We've got a bunch of book clubs out. Uh, we've got the Dark Phoenix Saga book club that's out right now. Uh, we've got uh, The Web of Spider-Man that's coming Web out. Spinners, Web Spinners.
0: Ta- Web Spinners, Tales of Spider-Man, one through three. There you go.
2: There you go. Mysterio story, just in time for Spider-Man.
0: It's at a new uh, slot, so it's not going to be the last Friday anymore. It's going to be the last Tuesday of every month. So this one's going to be releasing um, the 25th of June.
1: There you have it. Um, So stay tuned for all that jazz. And uh, let's do some plugs. Pete.
2: Oh, uh, one more thing I'd love to plug just for the the channel is um, that we do have uh, a brand new social media exclusive show going out weekly now called Phil's Notes in which Phil will be uh, reviewing comic books from his beloved comic book shelf. Uh, and the first one's up right now about um, friend of the show, Chris Sabella's, uh book. Um, Shanghai Red. Shanghai Red. Thank you. I was like, red, red. God, my brain. Um, yeah, so go check that out right now and uh, let us know what you think of it because there's more to come. <laughs> uh, so I hope you like it. And if you want to find him, he's at Bebop on uh, the Twitter and the Instagrams. So That's there you go. That's C-Y-B-O-R-G.
3: B-E-B-O-P.
2: Every time Kill sings that, I like struggle to follow the words for some reason the letters and i'm like i'm like is he spelling it right i don't even know <laughs> uh so as for me if you want to get me on social media i'm at loud underscore pete on twitter and instagram you can come uh chat with me there about what you th- what you're thinking about leviathan i'm definitely interested to talk about it and uh if you want to get some more work for me you can find um my work over at dot where i host a weekly nintendo podcast the potscast And talk about Nintendo stuff. So it's E3 season. If you're a fan of Nintendo, lots of cool things happened. So I'm there talking about them. Go listen. So many good things. Two. Fucking Breath of the Wild, too, man. God.
3: You can uh, find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. You can find me and my work on my website at uh, KaleWard.com, that's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D. Uh, I do another show with my wife called Gone Global. Uh, I told you earlier that there's an episode about Usagi Ojimbo, and that is 100% true, and I damned if you go check check that out. Uh, and hey, if you like what we do here, please go leave a review. It, uh, it helps us uh, move up in the charts, and we haven't asked in a while, and uh, it shows because nobody's done it. Uh, but, <laughs> but please do. Um, it, it really, it really, really does make a difference. It's a, it's a broken, stupid
1: system, but that's how it works. You make a good point. I'm gonna have to bring that back,
0: uh, Marco. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Mr. Marco Animoto. Um, currently reading a lot of lock and key stuff, so hit me up. And I'm getting into some sci-fi things, specifically Silver Age stuff. Uh, I'll post a picture of this massive omnibus that I have, but it's the silver age specifically for, um, Adam strange. No. Yeah. Yes.
2: (laughs) Marco Uh, also bad at names.
0: (laughs) So, um, if you want to talk to me about Adam strange stuff, uh, hit me up with sci-fi things. Please do.
1: Awesome. Uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Uh, I'm still soliciting uh, messages regarding Dark Phoenix. Let's talk about it. Um, those of us who enjoyed the movie really ought to unite because uh, there aren't that many of us. Oh, so
3: you and Matt Murphy? You can Yo, you can make yeah. half a basketball team.
1: Let's get it, bro. <laughs> Are
3: there only f- four people on a basketball team? <laughs> I-, I I can see what you did there. You tried.
2: <laughs> a for effort. Nice. All right. Well, that's the nice thing Scale said to me all year. <laughs> and with that, we're the comics pals signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye.
3: A D A M S T R. Age Okay. <laughs>